0: Our first scripture reading this morning is from the fourth chapter of the letter of Paul to the Philippians found on page 187 in the New Testament near Pew Bible. I just want to say thank you to Jen and Jonathan for the phonetic spelling of some of these names. Therefore my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way my beloved I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word.
1: One of the things I always find amusing in that uh, passage that Shannon just shared with us from the book of Philippians is imagine having a disagreement with somebody at church, and having that disagreement end up in the Bible. (laughs) Poor Euodia and Syntyche. The only time we hear of them in Scripture, and it's Paul saying, knock it off. Um, So uh, be careful, because somebody next to you might be an apostle. Uh, join, Join with me in prayer. Help us, O Lord, to understand Your Word. Sometimes the words on the page are so familiar that we gloss over them quickly, thinking we already know what You have to say, but we've changed. And so sometimes we hear familiar words in a whole new way. Grant to us to know what You are trying to say to us today so that this day we may do Your will To Christ's glory. Amen. I am uh, offering a little bit of a different kind of sermon this morning, which is why I have not yet read the second scripture lesson. Um, I want to take you uh, to the bottom of Mount Sinai with the children of Israel. And uh, we're going to do that through what is called an exegetical sermon. An exegetical sermon. That's a verse-by-verse review of the account from the word exegesis, which in the Greek... Uh, literally means uh, to be guided through, to guide from, exegesis. Uh, As if uh, you're on a trail, you've never been on the trail before, and somebody who has traveled that trail goes along with you and as a docent points out some of the things you would have missed if you hadn't had a guide go with you because they're familiar with the flora and the fauna and the geology. and, uh, And so exegetical preaching is walking you through the verses um, with, a, with a little bit of a flashlight. I'll shine a light on a few things as we go through this familiar story of the golden calf. And so I'm going to ask you to do something I don't do very often, and that is ask you to open up your Bibles, your pew Bibles, to page 75 in the Hebrew Scripture portion, in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. And I'm going to ask you to follow along, and while you're looking that up, um, I want to share with you just a little little memory. I grew up in a church that did almost exclusively exegetical preaching. And uh, that meant that people often brought their own Bibles from home so that while the pastor, the preacher, was dispensing little gems of wisdom, you could make notations on your Bible in the margins and underneath to say, you know, the pastor said this is the case, he's nuts, you know, those kind of things. right write down while the sermon was being given. Uh, because the expectation was you'd take that same Bible home and then you'd read the passage again in your own devotions either that day or maybe years later when you'd say, ah, the pastor preached an idiotic sermon about this verse let me show you where he was wrong Um, let me give you a little hint about one of the advantages of exegetical preaching my dad was really good at opening his Bible and putting it on his lap maybe crossing his legs and then he would look down, you know at the bible like he was deeply weighing each word of scripture and while his head was down he could doze off without my mother knowing he'd fallen asleep because it looked like he was in deep meditation on the word of god and who would interrupt that so here's a little hint it's okay for me to see the tops of your heads today um other sundays guess what i know absolutely everyone who dozes off during church because i'm way up here and can see you Um, uh, think about that because I haven't outed anyone, but yet we send you pledge cards. (laughs) Um, So what is meant by these pieces is a little little different today, so I will be reading the Exodus 32 passage interspersed with some thoughts as we go along. I assume you found page 75 now in uh, the hebrew scripture part of your pew bibles verse one when the people saw that moses delayed in coming down from the mountain well with something starts with when you know you're in the middle of a story i love bible passages that start with therefore or so then so we have when well He's delayed from coming down to the mountain. Where is Moses at the time? You've got to go all the way back. This is Exodus 32. You've got to go all, all the way back to Exodus 19 when God has descended onto Mount Sinai and there's thunder and smoke and fire and a billowing voice. And Moses goes up the mountain at the end of chapter 20. So Moses has been up on the mountain for a dozen chapters of the book of Exodus. And the people are beginning to wonder where he's gone. And so we move here into Exodus 32, verse 2. Now Moses, before... Oh, let me... you know, I, I'm, out of, I'm out of practice with exegetica because I have to move back and forth between the text and my, my sermon here. So bear with me. It's uh, even weirder for me. Um, Moses has been gone about five and a half weeks. Okay? So they haven't seen him for five and a half weeks. And as we read in Genesis 19, God speaks from the mountain. God is speaking from the mountain. God gives the Ten Commandments from the mountain. And the people say, Moses, we can't deal with God's voice anymore. Don't let God talk to us. You go talk to God and then come back and tell us what God said. But we're really, really afraid, Charlton Heston... Because the voice that is coming from the mountain is making us scared. So Moses says, okay, and that's when he goes up at the end of Exodus 20. Back to verse 1. When the people saw Moses delayed and came down from the mountain, the people gather around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. Now, Just before Moses went up, okay, God had given the people the Ten Commandments, right? What are the first two commandments in Exodus 20? I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now it was just five and a half weeks ago, the people heard, I'm the God that brought you up. You'll have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven, above, or earth beneath, or the water beneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the people, the last time they heard directly from God... The first two commandments were no other gods before me, because I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt, and two, don't make any graven images and bow down to them. So they've got the commandment, don't make idols, from the voice of God Himself. But that was that was five and a half weeks ago. Pretty sure that by now God's over it, right? You know, anyway, you know that's that's what happened back then. It's not a problem, except. We always are looking for gods that are for today, right? Never mind what God did for us back then. Never mind what happened, that we were blessed, we were healed, we had what we needed. Yeah, it's been, it's been five and a half weeks. What have you done for me lately, the people are saying. So clearly this, this God has no staying power because people have a short attention span, don't we? What happened in the Garden of Eden, of course? God said, don't eat from this tree. But that was weeks ago when Eve and Adam decided it was okay to eat. Our short attention span is not a function of social media. It's not a function of modern communication. It's not a function of the Internet. Our short attention span is a human condition that goes back to the beginning beginning of Human relationship with God. Adam and Eve got bored, they ate of the tree. The children of Israel got bored, and they say to Aaron, Look, you know, it's been a long, long time since we last saw Moses. Why don't you make us a God? Why don't you make something a little more relevant to today? What happens when we forget God's deliverance? We get bored. Verse 2. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. He doesn't make any attempt to defend his brother. Moses has been gone five and a half weeks. The people say we have no idea where he went, whatever could happen, and Aaron's like, okay, let's go ahead and take your gold. Um, One quick note, the gold earrings in sons and daughters. Daughters and sons both wearing earrings. Oh, it was a different time. Anyway. So immediately, without debate, what does Aaron do? Moses is gone. Let's have another God. Aaron says, give me your gold. When we get bored and we think we need a new God... I'll guarantee you the hucksters are all ready to start taking your gold. They're all ready up. Oh, you don't like that God anymore? Have I got a God for you. It's just going to cost, well, what do you got on you? Oh, gold earrings, great. Yeah. Cash, opening wallet, yeah. Aaron immediately steps into the huckster mode and creates for them a God that they're hungry for because they've already lost patience with the God of Moses because... Who knows where he is? Verse 4, 3, so all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Wow. That's marketing, isn't it? you thought that it was Yahweh who got you out of Egypt, but now that you've given me some money, let me show you. This is the God that brought you up out of Egypt. Aaron's pivot from being the older brother of Moses to being the founder of a new religion um, is almost instantaneous. And he's the one that quickly turns the people from saying, no, 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 you thought it was that God. No, no, it's this God. And what happens? Verse 5, when Aaron saw he built an altar before it. And Aram made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. You're going to party like you've never partied before. Oh, and by the way, read on. Verse 6. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. So this God not only comes with the down payment of all your gold, but also a subscription fee of offerings that need to be given in terms of regular expectations. You made a down payment with your gold and now there's an additional monthly payment in the form of sacrifices and burnt offerings. Once you've made the investment, you better keep giving, right? It's called in economics the sunk cost fallacy. I already bought this thing. It's not working, but if I don't keep feeding it, then I have to admit I was an idiot for buying it in the first place, right? Yeah, we've driven that car, haven't we? Yeah. It just needs one more little piece, it needs one more. When you are engaged in this expectation that constantly keeps moving, and you keep pouring more and more time and energy and resources, being told that the full return is just over the next payment, you can guarantee that there's probably some hucksterism going on. You might be following after Aaron. The rest of verse 6 they sat down. I love this. They sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. It's like a wedding rehearsal or wedding reception, doesn't it? You know, the bride and groom come in, you sit down, you eat, you drink, and then you stand up, to the, the DJ starts. And you're in that awkward moment where there's only about 15 more minutes of open bar, but the dancing has already started, you know. They sit down to eat and drink, they get up to revel. Boom shaka, boom shaka, boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and and it gets more and more raucous and then we hit verse 7 when the noise of the party has gotten all the way up to the top of Mount Sinai and God says to Moses I've seen these people and know how Stiff-necked they are. God has suddenly been interrupted by the people's distraction. And I love how he continues there. Moses, he goes out with Moses. I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Oop. Lord said, I'm sorry, verse 7. Lord said to Moses, go down at once. Your people... Whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. Your people. Now, back at the burning bush, it was my people. You're going to go down to uh, Pharaoh and liberate my people. I've heard the cries of my people. But they start acting up and acting out. God says to Moses, Your people who you brought out of Egypt are said, Does this happen with kids? You come home and it's, you need to know what your daughter did today. Right? It happens a lot with our dog. Danny says, you need to know what your dog did today. Suddenly it's my dog, not her dog. I love this Hebrew storytelling here where God is telling Moses, they're not my people. I, I've, I've seen these people. They're, 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 these are the people that you must have brought out because they're acting perversely. Verse 8, they have been quick to turn aside from the way I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, just a few words about the golden calf. The golden calf. And if you've off, keep your head down like you're you're pouring over the book. (laughs) Because in Hebrew Scripture, the golden calf is one of the most abhorrent of all the idols. God did not like the people to follow calf gods. Hosea 8.5 and if I was really doing an exegetical sermon I'd tell you to turn with me to Hosea 8.5 but I'm not going to do that to you because I don't know what the page number is. Hosea writes these words they have set up kings but not by me. They've made princes but not by my approval with their silver and their gold. Now this is a good 600 years after the golden calf in the wilderness the prophet is saying with their silver and their gold they have made for themselves idols to their own destruction God has rejected your calf O Samaria so the calf God pops up again throughout the history of Israel whenever they're in trouble they decide that they're gonna make a calf God and God says my anger burns against them now quite literally in the Hebrew wonderful phrase Your calf God has been rejected. In the Hebrew, the word is, your calf God stinks. (laughs) Been to the county fair? Walked into the bovine bar? As soon as you walk into the bovine barn, what lets you know there are cows in that room? Your calf God stinks. And the word for anger in Hebrew is a word that means flaring your nostrils. Your calf god stinks, and I flare my nostrils at you, says God. Uh, o Samaria, how long will you be incapable of innocence? For this thing is from Israel, a craftsman made it, it is not a god, it would be broken to pieces, that calf god of Samaria. Now what's the problem with calf gods? Why, why, why it's the big deal over calf gods? Well, people who have calf gods are nomads. They wander after their livestock. They go to the meadow where the grazing is good. They go to the streams where the water can be found. And as the seasons change, so does the home of the one who is tending the cattle. But the people here in the wilderness, where are they headed? They're heading towards a promised yeah so the nomadic god pulls their attention away from a promised land a home that they can call their own where they will stay to follow a calf through the wilderness was an acquiescence to the environment to their circumstances We find ourselves as wanderers in the wilderness. I guess that's the way it's going to be forever. So let's find a God consistent with our wilderness wandering. We worship what we know. And we build idols consistent with the values of our context. We conform to what is right in front of us. If everybody else has a calf god, we want a calf god. If everybody else is buying a bigger house, we want a bigger house. All of the commitment of our time, our energy, our orientation is found as an affirmation of the status quo and the way the values work around us, which is why the calf god was a big problem. You're not going to be a wanderer forever. You are not going to be a nomad people. You're heading for a promised land. What's the antidote to boredom? It's not answering it with the gods that everybody else has. Paul gives us the secret, beginning of the passage in Philippians that Shannon shared with you. I'd have you now turn to Philippians 4, but again, I'm not going to do that. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Paul says, Be known by gentleness. Don't worry. In prayer and thanksgiving, God's peace will surpass all your understanding and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It is a a way of seeing. Seeing beyond the immediate wilderness of whatever we find ourselves surrounded by. Seeing beyond the absent Moses who's been on the mountain all so long. Seeing beyond the distractions of the nomads who are around us. Seeing beyond the boredom that takes your money and builds false gods charging you monthly fees and late payment penalties to keep up. It's seeing beyond by no matter where we are offering thanksgiving, making our requests known to God and then finding peace even in the wilderness. Seeing beyond our immediate circumstances that challenge us to form idols, to the eternal circumstances of God's consistent presence now I've only made it through what about eight verses here and I didn't take you down all the side paths do you begin to understand how it was when I grew up that sermons were an hour and 15 minutes long and you know maybe you'd get through half the chapter I'm not going to do that to you either we're going to stop here and I don't know if I'll come back into exegetical preaching ever again, but these little tidbits that lie along the road through Exodus 32, I think are worth uh, picking up, savoring, and viewing. And so thanks for, uh, thanks for walking with me for just these few moments. Amen. Hey, let's stand and speak the words of the Apostles' Creed as our affirmation of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty.